Hi, welcome to Diversity in the D, Season 2, Episode 9. I'm going to go over some local news first, and then we'll jump right into our cases. In local news, a 69-year-old man's body was found in a car trunk in Dearborn, Michigan. Glenn McLean was reported missing by family on Tuesday, and his vehicle was also missing. Police say they believe Glenn McLean was assaulted in his home in Canton. Locke befriended McLean several months before the assault. He also stayed with Glenn and helped with repairs on multiple vehicles on Glenn's. Police officer in Dearborn located Glenn's vehicle and Locke. They called Canton police and when they arrived, they found Glenn's body in the trunk. A judge arraigned Locke, who was 50 years old, on Friday. He set a bond of $100,000. His next court date is May 19th. If convicted, he faces life in prison. Then our next local news story is three shot, one killed in gas station shooting. On May 6th, around 3 a.m., at a mobile gas station on McNichols and near Lodge Freeway, a triple shooting took place. Police had to shut down the gas station on the city's west side. Police say there was an altercation over a refund of around $3 between the clerk and suspect. The suspect got upset and fired shots, hitting three innocent customers. One of the customers was a man in his 30s. He was killed. Police later learned the gas station was unlicensed and shut them down later that day. Anyone with information is asked to contact Detroit Police or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-SPEAK-UP. Then we have an update on a case we did on Tuesday. In Season 2, Episode 8, we told you how... They had Robert Odell Waters for the murder of 19-year-old Kathy Swartz. It was a 1988 cold case that was recently solved. Robert was found dead in a cell on May 6th. He was recently charged with Kathy's murders from nearly 35 years ago. And then now we have a really sick local news story. A Canton man accused of texting instructions to an international sex trafficker to watch kids being sexually abused on camera. He has been charged in a seven-count indictment in federal court. Charles Callahan Lowe, 49, is the 112th person arrested as a 10-year international sex trafficking investigation. Lowe exchanged more than 1,600 messages with a known sex trafficker in the Philippines and paid $30 to $40 for live shows of young girls, some as young as three years old, who were abused in real time to create sexually explicit videos and images shared on Skype. Law enforcement executed a federal warrant on the trafficker's Skype account, which led them to low and found detailed messages. Low sent payments through Western Union at Rite Aid stores all over Metro Detroit to avoid his wife from finding out the trafficker overseas. To, find, to avoid his wife from finding out, the trafficker overseas has been arrested. The case was investigated by Homeland Security and Michigan State Police. He is charged with conspiracy to produce child porn, production of child porn, attempted production of child porn, and possession of child pornography. He faces up to 30 years in prison. That's sick as hell. Yeah, that is sick. Like, what... Like, makes these people do sick shit. That's what I wonder. Especially, like, people are killing old people. A 69-year-old man? 
For what? It's no structure. And then the altercation over area from about three dollars. You're gonna shoot people in the gas station. Great. Okay. You wanna go next? Or you want to eat next? Okay, so this next story is going to be about Sarah Porter. In 1995, Sarah was caring for a patient. She was she was a successful respiratory nurse therapist. This led her to fall in love with a son of one of her patients, Harold Butch Knight. He was much older, 18 years to be exact, but that didn't stop that didn't, that didn't stop them from falling in love with each other. A lot of people could not see what Sarah saw in Harold. He was kind of a natural. He had a natural way with others, while Harold, she had a natural way with others. While Harold didn't have a passion or drive to succeed, but Sarah really loved Butch. Sarah' close friend said she always remembered the couple sharing a lot. Of affection towards one another, they will have they will have picnic lunches while visiting late lighthouses in Maine and in Michigan, and they both enjoy okay. kayaking. Well, whatever that is, the relationship seemed to be great on the surface, but many say, many say, right treated night treated sarah's daughter badly cameron harris remember as a teen that harold would speak down to her and was never really supportive of her she also said harold had various personalities it was like dealing with two different people something wasn't right with him he wanted things on the outside to look perfect with his relationship but he had a darker, evil side with with me and my sister. When my mother wasn't, when my mother when my mother wasn't around, he would he would pick fights with us. They were also red flags about her loved ones. Say that he suddenly worked and relied on Sarah to support the family. He was also possessive, and he was. He was generally known to call shots in about everything in her life, from whom, from who Sarah socialized with to her finances. Those around Sarah supported the marriage, but because of the fondness, the fondness for him. In two thousand seven, in two thousand seven, a couple years after they married. The relationship was hot and health and in a health and in a healthy place. And Sarah and Sarah knew she had to do something drastic to save her marriage. To try to make to try to make better, she she suggests a chance of peace. Sorry about the interruption. My child decided to come home and Makes my dogs go crazy, so here we will continue on.
So I'm gonna start back from in 2007, a couple years after they had they had got married. That's what it's supposed to say the relationship was hot and then it <clears throat> was not in a healthy <laughs> not in a healthy place. And Sarah 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 knew she had to do something drastic to save her marriage to try to make better she suggested a change of peace she wanted to move to maine and harold was on was on board so they left their family and headed for maine sarah found work as a nurse and harold event and harold actually got a job doing box trucks for the hospital seven years later sarah called her daughter and told her she was packing her things and coming back to michigan without harold she moved back and started living with her daughter and her husband. Obviously, things happened out there, but she never told us what it was. Cameron Harris said, Sarah never mentioned Harold that much while staying with while staying with her daughter. He never really came up in their conversations. Cameron came, came across a letter from Harold to Sarah in the back of the Bible and knew it was a possibility for them to end up back together. A line in the letter read, I am doing the list of things you want me to do. And actually, they did end up getting back together. Harold moved back to Michigan and found a new home with Sarah. But nothing changed in their relationship. He was still not pulling his weight to provide for his family. Sarah was left working several hospital jobs and traveling all over the state to make ends meet. On January 11, 2015, Harold called 911 dispatch saying, I, I strangled her. She's dead, laying on the living room floor. When the operator asked for the caller's name, Harold responded with no emotion of, that's not important. I'm getting ready to leave the country. But we need to get a law enforcement that to do that, to do that. What every, whatever, they do with dead bodies. Harold then hung up. Authorities raced to the race raced to the home to the home. There was no cars or anything in the driveway. They entered the home to see if 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 they could render any aid based on the phone call. They had they have determined Sarah had been dead for two full days before Harold made the call from a burner phone. In Ann Arbor, Michigan, they also discovered Harold withdraw a large, a large sum of money prior to making the 911 call and closed his bank account on January 12, 2015. He purchased a Glock Model 22 40 caliber handgun and 40 rounds of ammunition. Two weeks after Sarah's murder, there were multiple sightings of Harold in Maine, where he once lived. Carolyn Porter, Sarah's mother, received a package from Harold and stated, instead of, instead of opening it, she immediately turned it over to police and it was postmarked from Maine. A year later, police released details of what was inside the package there was a letter taunting the family and the letter Harold said he was going to get away with murder 
because he watched a lot of crime shows. And in another note, Harold revealed a possible a possible motive for killing. To do what I do, I had to do to keep drug sales upcoming. Harold claimed he was dealing he was dealing drugs and Sarah was a liability but investor investor say they had no evidence of him being involved in any type of drug sales he also put two thousand dollars in a package to cover the cost of the cremation of sarah harold claimed claimed that what she wanted that's what she wanted on january 31st 2015 police in may discovered harold's abandoned 2011 green subaru and a walmart parking lot they see harold on surveillance but he changed his appearance he dyed his hair and mustache black and he was wearing a camouflage snowsuit authorities believe he had niched he had hitched a ride to regularly maine and it was possible he crossed the border into Canada. Harold appear, appeared on the investigator's radar two, two more times. In early February 2015, U.S. Marshals were sent to a motel in Maine. The owner recognized Harold in a photo and said he had, he had checked in under a different name four days after Sarah was killed. They believe he stayed there for from January 15th to, to the 19th in 2015. And in May 2015, Sarah's family believed Harold used his Facebook to like a family's photo. Harold Butch Knight is six feet five inches. He weighs 250 to 300 pounds. He has hazel eyes and he is balding with white hair and last seen with his mustache dyed black. He is 70 years old. He he was last seen in Rancy, Maine. He is known to wear glasses. He is a he is a diabetic. Could be hiding in a Amish community. He has a scar on his abdomen. He is training. He has he has training in truck driving, computers, and low woodworking love love to kayak and 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 hard of hearing okay that was the case of sarah porter as you can tell he hates my handwriting although it's not bad it really isn't <laughs> but what did you think about that case yeah, i don't know this I don't know. That's strange. Yeah, it's weird that they still haven't caught him after all these years. I mean, he called the cops and told them, hey, I, I murdered her. She's on the floor. And, you know, they had sightings of him, but still have not caught him. Right. All these surveillance and sightings and he still haven't been caught. That's just the crazy part. Yeah, well, maybe one day. Well, I think it's going to be if he's 70 damn years old, it's going to be too damn late. Hey, hopefully, God will make him live forever so the family could do justice, hopefully. 
Well, our next case is Alyssa Williams. Alyssa Williams was born on August 10th, 1981 to Denise and her ex-husband Isaiah Williams. Denise met Isaiah 10 years after her senior. He lived next door to her family in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She fell in love and they drove to Ohio in 1979 to get a quick marriage. Two years into the relationship, Isaiah became abusive. One month into the marriage, Isaiah was accused of shooting at Denise and beating her with a rifle. Within months of their marriage, the two separated and Denise filed for a divorce. After the divorce, Denise was working and Isaiah showed up at her place of employment. Forced her into a vehicle and the relationship began again. And so did the abuse. An intensified once Isaiah learned Denise was pregnant with a child from another relationship she was in during their separation. Denise left Cincinnati and she returned home to be with her family and had the baby in late July in early August of 1981. Holding Alyssa for the first time is Denise's favorite memory of her time together. I have another girl was her first thought when Alyssa was born. To dress up and put her hair in pigtails, but she wouldn't be left with many memories to choose from. After Alyssa was born, Isaiah arrived in town with a wedding ring. The two went back to Cincinnati, and by September, Denise was calling for help with, the, with domestic violence. Denise ended up leaving and staying with a friend in April 1982. While her and Isaiah were separated, she eventually ran into Isaiah again and got a ride home from him and agreed to go on a date. While on a date, their vehicle was stopped by the police and Isaiah was taken into custody due to traffic warrants. This delayed the couple's return to Alyssa, who was with a friend, but the child protective took custody of her the next morning. Denise got Alyssa back and on April 29, 1982, she was at the same friend's home. Isaiah showed up very upset that she was staying with her friend. Denise said, he hit me in the face and I fall back. And that's when he grabs her and Alyssa's crying, she said. He takes her and I run after him. And then I came back into the house and called the police. Isaiah was arrested for assaulting Denise, but he did not have Alyssa with him. He wouldn't say where she was, only she was with relatives. Denise didn't know. Police told Denise, since Isaiah was <coughs> on Alyssa's birth certificate, he had as much right to Alyssa as she did. Denise tried to find her daughter, even sought help from CPS, but learned Isaiah had returned to Ann Arbor, so she came back to Ann Arbor. Isaiah's brother later told police he had last seen Alyssa at a family reunion on July 4th, 1982. The ex-wife of Isaiah's told police she last saw Alyssa when Isaiah brought the baby to her house on July 9th, 1982. Both said she was in good health. On July 9th, Isaiah was served with a request for separate maintenance, financial support, which was an effort to make Isaiah produce Alyssa. He was also served with a summons on a restraining order in a show cause hearing demanding he produce Alyssa in court. Isaiah's other ex-wife told police that he drove away with Alyssa at 2 or 3 a.m. on July 10th and returned without her at 11 a.m. before loading the baby's belongings into the car and driving the woman to work. She also told Canada that on July 27th, 22nd that year, she stayed the night with Isaiah in Detroit 
and never saw Alyssa, but watched Isaiah board a bus to Alabama the next day. An order granting Denise custody was issued for Alyssa, but she was never seen again. Isaiah was brought to court on a restraining order violation in February 1983. He offered to provide information on Alyssa's whereabouts if his case was dropped against him. The judge refused and refused and threatened extra jail time if he didn't cooperate. Isaiah finally told his own account of what happened to Alyssa. He said in the summer of 1982, he was smoking weed and drinking while driving with Alyssa one summer. He parked at Island Park in Ann Arbor, fell asleep, and when he woke up, Alyssa was gone. He said he assumed Denise or another relative took her. After court, a attorney for Denise contacted police and reported her missing. Denise's attorney said Isaiah had told her at one point he killed Alyssa, that she was across the water, that she was sick and died at a hospital. He also told his ex-wife he made those claims just to hurt Denise because he felt betrayed over the relationship she had with Alyssa's biological father. Police do not suspect her biological father has any involvement in Alyssa's disappearance. Police have tried to find Alyssa. Detective Canada interviewed several people after receiving tips that Isaiah gave her to a white couple in Adrian, Michigan. Other tips led to a search of the Huron River and other places for Alyssa. They have re-interviewed Isaiah and those who knew him. Isaiah said he was in an accident in 1994 and he can't remember the time frame of the girl's disappearance. He was also questioned in September at his Inkster home and said he was unable to recall events from that time frame as a result from a brain injury from the crash. He asked before closing his door why he wouldn't want to discuss something of what she was, what she has no memory. Prosecutors could not authorize an abandonment charge against Isaiah. In 1983, and homicide charges were denied as of January 2015. Police said that Alyssa's disappearance would be custody issue when it first arose in the 1980s. Denise hounded Cincinnati police daily and posted an ad in the paper with words, if anyone knows, in all capital letters, when Alyssa was taken. And after the stones Isaiah told about, after the stories Isaiah told about Alyssa being in the hospital, she contacted every hospital in the area. She confronted Isaiah prior to him telling his story in court in 1983, but it left her so injured she was in danger of losing an eye. She continues to work with the Michigan police and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and offered a DNA sample in hopes for a match. Alyssa was less than a year old at the time of her disappearance. She was described as a black female child with brown eyes and hair. She had a scar on or under her chin and was measured in July 1982 at 30 inches tall and 27 pounds. She would be 42 years old now. On May 4, 2023, Isaiah is now being charged with open murder in 2021. He was sent to trial after a lengthy extradition process from Chicago. He's known, he is now 76 years old. Olivia was never found and presumed dead. Isaiah, <coughs> Isaiah is scheduled for a pretrial conference at 1.30 p.m. May 17th in Washington County Circuit Court. We'll, we will be following this case closely to see the outcome. That is wow. 
Ain't just a long time. I'm just trying to figure out, like, how in the hell can he beat a woman with a rifle and all of that stuff, and he's still able to walk the streets? My whole thing is, how can he not tell the cops and produce his kid and still be out there on the damn streets? I mean, he 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 shouldn't have been even around the kid if they would have locked him up from that's way. That happened before the damn thing. So you assaulting somebody with a gun, a rifle at that, he should have been locked away then. It shouldn't even went that far. Well, the whole thing is he got locked up a couple times and got back out. And I don't know why Alyssa's mother kept getting back with him if he knew she knew he was violent. Alyssa and, wasn't his kid. Exactly. That was that that's what I don't like about it. And he took he 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 took the, the punk boy out the situation. He's doing all of that. That is crazy because he never should have been on the streets. She should have never put him on her, her birth certificate. If he wasn't on her birth certificate, he wouldn't have had any right to her. Yeah. But since she put him on her birth certificate, that gave him all rights to take off with that little girl. Yeah. And now that, that baby is presumed dead, no one knows if she's dead or alive. No one's seen her since he took her. So who knows? It says she'll be 42 years old. Yeah, 42, that's my, around my age. I mean, 35 years since his mother seen her kid, probably longer. That's why I said he goes to court on May 17th. I'm, I'm going to try to follow it closely and see the outcome. I hope they charge him with something. He need to be charged with something because he just, that's just wild. And who knows, maybe he'll he'll say something, although he claims that he can't remember it because of car crash. That's yeah. just a coward way out. That's the bull. That's the bull crap. It reminds me of the dude that talking about he got a car jet. <laughs> Come on, man. It's like, although that wasn't your kid. Right. You know, she still had a mother. And you're doing all this to get back at her mother? I mean, give her mom some peace. Right. In her mom's family, you know, obviously she's got a biological father out there. Give him some peace. It's just people are sick. They need to bring the death penalty back to Michigan. Yes, they do for sickles like him. And I hope in court they give him what he, he deserves because he's sick. Yeah. What court is he going to? He's going to, let me recheck. <laughs> Washington Circuit Court. So, for a pretrial conference for Washington, I mean, their court systems are kind of rough. Well, the judges are kind of rough, strict. So, who knows? Hopefully, the outcome's good for Alyssa's mom. Yeah. Maybe they'll eventually find closure in Alyssa's case. Right, close his ass away for good. I'm praying that he did give that, give that baby away, though. And someone has her, and she just don't know because she was so young at the time. That she's Alyssa. Well, that'd be good prayers. Yeah. What, do you have anything else you would like to share with the other listeners? <laughs> well, it was a rough podcast today, <laughs> thanks to our dogs. But thank you to all our listeners. 
<laughs> don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, and comment. And also remember, we are available on the following platforms. Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Our Facebook page is Diversity in the D. Our email is D-I-V-E-R-C-I-T-Y-I-N-T-H-E-D at gmail.com. I'm not sure what our next week's episode because I have been so crammed with cases and trying to research and do everything else. Been very, very busy. But I think that's all we have for you guys today. And happy Sunday. And for those of you that uh, celebrate Cinco de Mayo, I hope it was a good one. And we will see you again on Tuesday.